Welcome, everyone, to the Talking Reef Podcast. Questions and comments are always welcome. Please send them to podcast at talkingreef.com. And don't forget to visit our website at www.talkingreef.com. Now, here's the show. Welcome to the Talking Reef Podcast, the weekly talk show that brings you topics and discussions on marine and reef aquariums. First off, I wanted to start off with a couple upcoming events. Uh, just a quick reminder that the next Midwest Marine Conference will be held on Saturday, March 25th, 2006 at Weber's Inn in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, there's going to be some uh, great guest speakers, so make sure that uh, you check out their website and uh, get all the information if you're interested. Uh, again, the link for the website will be in the show notes. It's masm.org, and uh, check out Talking Reef website, uh, get the show notes, and you can get a link right to them to check out the information. Another upcoming event that I wanted to mention is a Saltwater U conference. Uh, this is actually Saltwater 2. Uh, this is an educational program hosted by the Atlanta Reef Club, promoting preservation through education through a series of lectures and workshops. This year's event will be held at the Georgia Aquarium. Many of you have probably heard about the Georgia Aquarium. Uh, this is going to be a great conference held in the aquarium on May 5th, 6th, and 7th of 2006. And there's going to be some great, great guest speakers such as Eric Borman, Anthony Kelfo, Dr. Bruce Carlson, Robert Fenner, Robert Huter, Martin Moe Jr., Stephen Pro, uh, our good friend Stephen Pro. Uh, Walter Smith, uh, and there's going to be a lot of great stuff there. So again, uh, it's saltwateru.com. I'll have a link in the show notes for that one as well. So make sure you go there and uh, check out all that information. And uh, if you're interested in going, if you're in the area, if you want to check it out. So moving right along, uh, on the first topic of the show today, we've got a guest uh, with us. Uh, this week we have uh, Jake Hagbird joining us. Jake is the owner of RazorCorals.com. A few weeks back, I contacted Jake about doing a show on online fish and coral business. Jake agreed to do the show with me and uh, actually soon after that became the first sponsor of the Talking Reef website. So I want to give a special thanks out to Jake and to Razor Coral for uh, sponsoring the website. Now, a little bit of information about Jake. Uh, Jake lives in Minnesota and has been actively keeping saltwater aquariums for over eight years. Prior to that, had numerous freshwater aquariums ranging from tropical fish tanks to cichlid tanks. Uh, Jake has been propagating corals now for over two years and has been involved in the Twin City Marine Aquarium Society, or TCMAS, for nearly two and a half years now. Uh, he's also currently... Uh, working on a, a series of beginner articles for Reefpedia, uh, a site that I've mentioned many, many times. Uh, Jake's going to be doing some uh, real beginner articles, stuff like that, including a complete 101 guide to starting and maintaining a, a marine reef aquarium. So it's going to be some really good information. Uh, we have the link to RazorCorals.com and to Reefpedia on the website and in the show notes, of course. So make sure you check that out. So uh, without further ado... Let's move right on to our first topic. Well, as mentioned, in this first segment, we're going to be talking about an online coral store. Jake, welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, Jake, as the, the owner-operator of Razor Coral, uh, can you give me a little bit of information about how you got started in this business? Yeah. Ever since I was a kid, I've always had a freshwater aquarium. 
I began keeping small tropical fish and eventually moved on to cichlids and other larger fish. Later on, throughout my years, I progressed and I wanted to get a job, so I found a job at a local pet store and served many customers there. Eventually, I found that I could start an aquarium business by helping customers set up tanks and maintain them. That eventually evolved into RazorCorals.com, which is an online coral selling store. And how long have you been operating RazorCoral.com? Razor Corals is a pretty new business. It's been in operation for about three months now, and it's going very, very well. Great. And you know, how, when you're when you're working with the product and you get in the orders and stuff like that, what kind of stuff do you uh, prepare? Or how do you prepare for shipments and stuff like that? Receiving an order is a pretty important part of the day. It generally requires a fair amount of time because when the airplanes come in, package may come at any time during the day. So you need to be ready and prepared to pick it up at the airport and unload it into the aquariums at any time during the day. Usual preparation can take up to one to two hours and then another two to three hours to unload the corals and make sure that they're healthy and dip and quarantine them as needed. Um, a couple different procedures that I use to ensure the health of the corals and to help remove pests include heavy saltwater dips, freshwater dips, iodine treatment, and then I also pick through corals like zoanthid looking for pests like sundial snails. Great. Now, in, in regards to shipping, um, when you actually go out and ship stuff out to customers, do you have special packaging and stuff like that that you use there for that type of shipment? Yeah, I use styrofoam boxes and ship FedEx overnight and UPS overnight. I run a flat rate fee of thirty-seven fifty for FedEx overnight and $35 for UPS. The styrofoam boxes come from Uline Box Company and they're styrofoam insulated about one inch thick. And in there, I often place a heat pack, depending on the weather. For example, I'm located in Minnesota, and it's very, very cold outside right now. So when I ship, I make sure that everything is packed tightly with extra styrofoam and heat pack. And probably all taped up nice and tight. True, exactly. Excellent. Now, one of the things that I've seen a lot with uh, a lot of the online fish stores and coral stores is a lot of them can offer an online guarantee. Now, specifically, you deal with the corals and not with the fish. Uh, and a lot of these corals can be extremely sensitive to temperature change, um, lack of current specifically uh, with some of the acros and stuff like that. Um, do you offer an, a guarantee or a stay alive guarantee or arrive alive guarantee, whatever they're calling it nowadays. And if you do, how do you actually prepare to make sure that, that you can actually meet that? I do have an arrive alive guarantee. I guarantee that your coral will arrive in a proper manner and stay alive for 24 hours. If it does not, I offer a refund via store credit or else for your next purchase. And in your experience in, the, in basically running this business, how successful has that that uh, stay alive guarantee bin. I know a lot of us see this type of stuff on online and we really kind of are curious as to you know how successful it really is. I mean for me to get a coral in or a fish from an online fish store you know if I still get in get one in and it's and it's dead that's that's a lot of work that I'm probably gonna have to go through to get a store credit and reorder something else. How successful have you been with the stay alive guarantee? I've been very successful. I've only lost one coral in numerous shipments and that coral was actually replaced and shipped out to the customer for free. Excellent. Now, do you have any, you know, other experience with any other online fish stores uh, or coral stores that you could, you know, kind of just give a little bit? I mean, is this kind of 
common that these stay alive or arrive alive guarantees are they they're usually pretty good and stuff's usually shipped well i'm asking because you know i i haven't been one that's ordered online before so i kind of want to give some of the listeners a little bit of experience from someone that does this and may have done this in the past yes i have ordered from a number of online stores and i've also ordered pooled with many members of my club the twin cities reef club and we've ordered from atlantis reefer madness live aquaria pet solutions saltwaterfish.com, and many other online vendors. The arrival live guarantee is very important. Usually everything arrives promptly and on time, and usually it's not the company's fault, but rather UPS or FedEx delaying the package. Yeah, I've heard, you know, I'm I'm in my local fish store a lot, and I've actually become pretty close with them, and I've heard some horror stories about the shipping companies, the freight companies leaving stuff out on the tarmac at the airport or not handling it properly. So, well, it's good to hear that... Um, a lot of the these online stores are pretty successful with their arrive alive guarantees and that a lot of people have a lot of success with that now in regards to uh, using an online store why should somebody shop in an online store instead of a local fish store it's my understanding that there are certain advantages to this you wanna take a moment and comment on that well a couple things that you get with your local fish store is you know exactly what you're getting you can see it in front of you you know what price it's going to be and you can bring it home with you immediately. With an online store, you don't always know what you're getting, and you don't, you're not always sure about the quality of the goods. And that's why I offer a what you see is what you get type picture or photograph for most of the corals. But problems arise with the what you see is what you get photos because many companies Photoshop their pictures or alter them to change the color or appearance. One way that you can check to make sure that you're getting the actual coloration is look at the egg crate or the live rock and notice if it's shaded pink or unusual purple color. With the exception of coralline and stuff like that. And you know, when I was on your website, I did notice that you were very specific to call out uh, that you used um, something that was a bright white so that people could see that, you know, a bright white compared to see that the, the photo hasn't been, you know, doctored or altered and that your exposure was taken properly. Yes, that's very important. So when, when just as advice for somebody that's uh, online, work with, with an online seller, or specifically with coral, um, looking at those photographs is something that's really important. And I know, at least in the, the looking that I've done, it seems to be the smaller uh, s smaller online outlets that are you know selling this stuff that are really specific with doing the what you see is what you get or the WYSIWYG photos, uh, whereas a lot of the larger chains, they just have a generic photo up there of Coral X and they say, this is not the one you'll get and you'll, what yours is it's just going to look something like this. So I think that's real good that, that you and the, a lot of the, the smaller outlets actually have uh, the WYSIWYG photos. I think it's a great opportunity for a lot of small vendors like myself to get going and show off actually what they have and it's a great opportunity for customers to see exactly what they're getting like you said it is very important to look at the photograph and even if you can get a second photograph from the vendor that's even better because oftentimes they're rushed they won't take the time to edit the photograph and alter it or doctor it oh great so another tip would be now our online retailers usually Will they comply with this if you just say, hey, I'm interested in getting this, uh, this specific species or coral or specimen or whatever? Could you send me um, a couple additional photos with it? They'll, they'll frequently do that? Yeah, most online vendors are very good about that. For example, we recently ordered a clam from AtlantisAquariums.com for a club member, and we couldn't quite tell if the color was accurate from the picture, and they actually took a picture with the camera phone 
and sent it straight to his phone, and Clam ended up arriving better than we actually expected. Well, excellent. That's great news. And, you know, I, I do know that there's a lot of people that are iffy about buying online and stuff like that. I have to say, honestly, the only reason I haven't bought online before is because I do have a, uh, a real good local fish store around me, and uh, I can usually get a lot of the stuff that I'm looking for here. That, on top of the fact that I think that I'm in an area where we're kind of saturated with, with fish stores. We've got a lot of them around here. So th that's pretty good for the people around here. But uh, I have often looked at there, and uh, especially with the, the new... Um, partnership with Razor Corals and Talking Reef, I'm definitely going to be looking at uh, keeping an eye on a lot of your stuff for some good special pieces. Now, in comparison to other online stores, what makes Razor Coral any different than the other online outlets? Well, here's what I think. A lot of the places will have high-quality corals because generally they all come from the same place. Another difference is some will be less expensive than others, and that's one of the things I also try to do. But I believe the most important factor that separates my business from other businesses is the customer service that I provide to customers. For example, I get several inquiries per day and I try to respond to them as soon as possible. I also gave the example of the free shipping that I gave to the customer that lost uh, coral that he purchased. And one of the other questions that I had for you, something that you were just kind of talking about was corals coming from uh, specific places and stuff like that. Now, you, where do your corals generally come from? Most of my corals come from Indonesia, Solomon Island, Tonga, Karda, and Bali. And you import them direct right to you, or do you, you, know, do you usually go through uh, third-party uh, handlers or anything like that? These are imported directly to me, and basically what happens is they land in L.A. and then immediately are shipped out to Minnesota. Other companies will often go to their wholesalers and handpick corals, and that's where you see the increase in price. Right, yeah. And I know that working with my local fish store people, especially with the corals, uh, finding ways to cut out the middlemen can really reduce the cost and it allows the, the business to pass those cost, those cost savings on to you. Kind of for the last question, uh, more specific towards you, uh, what are some of the issues that your business faces, uh, either specifically to being a, a smaller uh, online outlet or just, uh, and if also you could touch on just the online business as a whole. Well, a couple of problems that face my business is there are a lot of other competitors online <clears throat> advertising on all the forums. For example, Reef Central is a large forum, and if you're on Reef Central, you do pay a large fee for advertising, but it does get your name out. For example, a company like myself, I can't exactly afford the advertising fees, so I try to make it up in different ways, like my customer service or adding discounts to pet purchases or staying involved with my local fish club. Something that we've, we've noticed with your support of the Talking Reef website and the various other uh, forums that I've been around to and I've seen, I've seen your, your banners up there. A couple other things that I'd like to touch on about the online industry is it's a great industry. There aren't very many people out there that are out to screw you and try to get your credit card or rip you off. One thing that you can definitely look at to see if the site is legit is if they have a secure server which means when you look up in the address bar, you'll see an HTTPS colon slash slash, which means when you're checking out, it goes through a secure server, so it, it helps to protect your credit card. It's not an absolute guarantee, but it prevents hackers and other third parties from getting into your computer and getting your personal information. Yeah, and I mean, and that's, that's general common sense for... Uh, any online purchasing for everybody, whether you're dealing with, uh, you know, pretty much any type of online store, uh, to always keep an eye on on that URL bar up at the top and look for the S in there. 
so yeah, I mean that's that's some you know good information. It helps us hopefully helps us give a little bit of a, a better understanding about the online fish store and coral stores and stuff like that. All right, one other question I had was if you could kind of take a moment and and walk us through the process that an online store like yours would go through. So let's say for example that I'm browsing through your website and I see a, a coral that I like and I go through and I add it to my cart and I check out and I pay for it and everything like that um, I'm pretty much done and I'm gonna sit back and wait for my coral to arrive in, in you know on my doorstep and there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes to make sure that that coral arrives on my doorstep uh, can you kinda of take a minute and go through the process from the time I submit the order until you know the point where you ship it out and kinda of give us an idea of what happens yeah when an order is received I receive an email probably like most other online vendors, that says an order has been processed and purchased. From there, I go over to my aquariums and I handpick out the corals that I will be sending. For example, if you purchase a what you see is what you get coral, you will receive that coral and I will handpick it and give it a final check over to ensure its health. If it's not healthy, I will personally contact you and make sure that we can find something that will replace the coral or else cancel that coral from your order. I believe that most other online vendors in general feel the same way and do the same thing. After the coral is selected, it's placed in a bag with water. The bag is then sealed off and then double or triple bagged again to ensure that it does not leak. A leaky bag can affect the rest of your shipment if your box is packaged improperly. For example, the water that leaks out can affect the cardboard and weaken the edges around it, causing your whole order to maybe fall apart on the ground. After it's placed in the container, styrofoam packing peanuts are added around it and a heat pack is added on top. Most containers will have one or two heat packs that will last for up to 24 hours in shipping. That way when it's shipped out, it will have plenty of time to reach your doorstep and arrive warm. Excellent. You usually use the 24, whatever, 24 hour heat packs and stuff like that in there? Correct. Excellent. Now, one of the things that I was interested about, uh, is I know some of the coral, specifically the soft coral, uh, for example, let's say you, you know, I ordered a a small rock or whatever that had some zoo polyps on it or you know something soft like that it, what kind of measures are taken to prevent those rocks or whatever they're on from flipping the wrong way and say you know smushing the coral that might be on there do you have to do something in the in the packaging to stabilize it and make sure it stays upright or in a position where it won't damage the coral generally most soft corals ship very well for example you did mention zoos and they actually ship very well from my understanding and from the feedback that I've gotten from other customers. But corals like leather corals, cold corals, and some of the larger soft corals like them often need to be mounted and then placed on styrofoam. It's kind of difficult to explain, but once it's placed on the styrofoam, a rubber band is wrapped around attaching the rock to the styrofoam. And you float them, don't you? And you float them in the yep. water to ensure that they're not smooshed or mashed. Gotcha. Yeah, and I know, and I've heard some some people had mentioned that you know stuff like zinnia doesn't ship well at all. Uh, have you had that experience at all? I've only shipped one colony of zinnia, and from my knowledge, it arrived perfectly. But in general, zinnia is not a strong shipper, and it often does not come with an arrival live guarantee. Gotcha. So just kind of a recap. So let's say you've got a, a soft coal or whatever, you would mount it uh, to a a small rack or a rack, a small rock. And then that rock would be then attached, usually using rubber bands, to a piece of styrofoam and put into the bag, and it would be left to, f to uh, kind of float upside down from that styrofoam, right? Exactly. Excellent. 
Excellent. Well, you know what? I think that kind of gives everybody a, a good rundown of you know how these online stores work. Uh, definitely, if anybody's got any specific questions, I know we didn't cover any everything, and I'm sure there's a lot of other things that people might be curious. Um, since Jake and Razor Corals uh, are a, a supporting and sponsoring uh, the website, there is a, a forum set up specifically for them. I'm sure that uh, Jake would be willing to field any further questions that anyone may have. I know that there's a lot of people that are sometimes a little, you know, it's a little timid to buy online. Some people just aren't ready to do it. Make sure you head over to the Talking Reef forums. Uh, down at the bottom, there are the sponsor forums. You'll see the Razor Coral forum there. You know, post any questions that you may want in there, and uh, I'm sure Jake will be more than happy to take care of those. Yeah, that would be no problem. And if I don't have any answer to your question, I'd be more than willing to direct you to somebody that I think would know the, the answer to your question. Okay, and just to kind of take a quick moment, um, you know, do you take special orders and stuff like that? I mean, we're going to move a little bit specific to your business, um, just to kind of give you the opportunity to, to talk about a little bit more. Um, if I'm looking for something that I don't see on your website, could I specifically order it from you? You can try to specifically order it for me and give me a heads up on what you're looking for and I can try to order it in or get it in the very near future mm -hmm. if I don't already have it. Some things aren't listed on the site because I feel that they need to be quarantined or they don't meet my personal standards to be sent out yet. Gotcha. Now, how often do you normally get new sh shipments in? I get shipments one to two times a week during the weekdays. Very cool, very cool. Alright, well let's, let's go ahead and wrap up this section. In, dis in discussion with you prior to this, uh, there was another topic that you wanted to take a minute and, and discuss, and this is an important topic, and it's something that's come up in the Talking Reforms a few times already, uh, and it's in regards to various aquarium pests. Now, specifically in your case, dealing with the, the coral and stuff like that, we're going to kind of contain it to uh, a couple different pests that we're going to talk about, and these are going to be uh, again, more targeted towards stuff that's going to affect your coral and your, your rock work more than it is going to be, you know, fish or anything like that. So uh, in the aquarium pest topic, uh, the second topic for this show, uh, let's go ahead and talk about a few things in here. Now, the first things that I know and anybody that's been dealing with, uh, you know, the acros and, you know, different types of corals, something that everybody's heard about, I'm sure, is the, the red bugs. Can you take a minute and tell me a little bit about red bugs? Yeah, there are a number of ways to treat LRB or little red bugs. A common treatment is interceptor, and it can be done in a full tank setting or a small container. Now, interceptor, real quick, interceptor is something that it's actually a dog medication, isn't it? A dog Correct. and cat? It's a dog heartworm pill. Yeah. Some of the problems that you can encounter with interceptor is you may lose a lot of your pods. For example, if you have a mandarin, you'd want to make sure that you've taken proper precautions to ensure that you have enough food for it. Now, the interceptor treatment, that's always, uh, I know that I've, I've worked with some people locally that had, had done something like this, and they usually always treat them separately because not only do they kill uh, the little red bugs, uh, but they'll also kill your snails or crabs, it's my understanding, also too. Is that correct? Yeah, and sometimes your shrimp. Mm -hmm. So it's very important that uh, in the event that you're going to be you know, trying to treat for the, the little red bugs, that you do that in a quarantine tank or somewhere separate from your display tank. Uh, a lot of people that get coral in, you know, either through a shipment from online or from a local fish store, uh, a lot of times they'll just generally treat the coral uh, with the interceptor, and it only takes a very, very, very small amount. Okay, and when you're dealing with the little red bugs and you actually go through and start the treatment, uh, 
can you give me any information about the actual treatment? Yeah, it's important that when you're doing the little red bug treatment, it's important to treat at least three times to ensure that you kill off all the little red bugs. That way you're kind of catching them at the, you know, as the larva, larvae hatch, and you'll, then you'll kill them off and stuff like that. So, all right. So, I mean, basically, um, you probably want to leave them in, in your quarantine. You probably wouldn't want to introduce it into your tank and make sure you do the, the interceptor or whatever the, the, the red bug treatment is multiple times before you actually introduce it into your main display tank. Correct. Now, moving on to the next one uh, is the thing that we're going to talk about is uh, a type of flatworm, specifically Acropora-eating flatworms. Uh, what can you tell me about these little, these little pests? Well, these guys are pretty destructive. They can plow down corals, and there's nothing that you can really, really do about it. I have known no numerous club members that have taken corals out that have been affected and just thrown them in the garbage. But recently, they've been coming out with some new medication. It's an anti-fluke medication that you can purchase at your local fish store, and it oftentimes will kill the adult acrid-eating flatworms. The only problem is this medication does not kill the, the eggs, so you need to do multiple treatments and make sure that you scrape off the eggs. Uh, so again, we're kind of in the same situation as we are with the treatment for the, for the little red bugs in that you've got to do multiple treatments. Correct. And another thing is these flatworms, they're very small. They're clear. They're free swimming, which means they can move from colony to colony, and it's very hard to see them in the tank. So oftentimes you'll need to pull the coral out of the tank, flip it over, and physically examine the base with the magnifying glass and try to look for them in the light. So I, what are some signs uh, that you might have uh, these acro-eating flatworms as opposed to uh, signs of bleaching or RTN? Well, you might see just deterioration of the coral around the base. That's similar to STN or RTN. Mm -hmm. But another thing that you can look for, like I mentioned before, is the, the little clear specks around the coral. Okay. Now, are they, if I had one sitting in my display tank and I noticed some, some tissue necrosis, and, you know, from the outside of the tank, is it something that would be visible from that distance, or would it be almost required to pull the colony out and identify or uh, look at it close up? You'd need to pull the coral out of the tank and look at it close up with the magnifying glass. Okay, so this is probably something that if you're looking in your tank, while you might think that it's that it's RTN or something similar, or you know, people commonly, it's something I just wanted to mention real quick. Uh, people commonly, when they see this phenomenon happening. Uh, whatever it happens to be, everybody all of a sudden says bleaching, bleaching. And I think it's important to mention, at least real quickly, that you know, bleaching is not a loss of tissue. And it's the tissue will remain. It's actually a, a loss of the zooxanthellae from the tissue. And in which case, you know, the tissue will still be there. With the RTN or the symptoms from these acro-eating flatworms, the tissue will actually be gone. And one of the quick ways to look at this is if you, when you're looking... Uh, a lot of times they'll have, you know, polyps all the way down, and if you look inside there, you'll see uh, the actual skeletal structure. You won't see any tissue. So uh, is there anything else that you wanted to, to mention here on these little guys? No, I think that's good, and I guess we should probably move on to talk about the regular flatworms. Yes, these are something that have the regular planaria flatworms or something that have been... Uh, that I have been battling for some time now. I believe I got it in on a colony... Uh, uh, don't remember specifically which one it was, uh, but 
or, or what species it was. It wasn't a nacro colony, uh, but it was it was weird because this colony actually came as a frag that was not mounted, and it was it was the only thing I had put in my tank in probably six months, and I had no problems before this, and they must have been on this this coral itself. And, you know, here I am with flatworms. So why don't you take a minute and tell me a little bit about flatworms and stuff like that. Well, you can easily spot the flatworms in their tank. They come in a variety of different colors, from brown to red to orange. And they'll often be located near your substrate or on your glass or on your rockwork. It's easiest to pick them out, though, when they're on your glass. They're usually, like I said, a brown, rusty color, um, usually found uh, specifically in low current areas are, are also known as dead spots. Mm -hmm. But a couple of preventions or treatment measures have come out. One pretty popular treatment is flatworm exit, which would require multiple uses like all the other medications. Yes, and one important thing to mention specifically, uh, I have not dealt with the acroating flatworms or their treatment or anything like that, but with the planaria flatworms, um, something that's very important here is that when you treat these, when you kill these, specifically using something like flatworm exit, what will happen is they excrete their, their, their body juices inside, and these body juices are extremely toxic. Uh, so make sure that the directions are extremely well followed, and, and talk to some people before you do this, because the last time that I tried to do this, I actually lost a few fish, and I was doing some massive filtering, uh, massive water changes, and running lots and lots and lots of carbon, and I still ended up losing some. Mm -hmm. That is a typical problem. I know, for example, one of my local fish stores, near me is battling flatworms and it's been an ongoing problem for them. They've been having issues with them and they've been doing treatments but they still haven't been able to get rid of them. So they've been adding fish like wrasses, mandarins, and other flatworm predators to help keep down the problem. Yeah, a couple natural predators, the two that you mentioned, uh, six-line wrasse uh, is a very well-known predator to the flatworms and uh, while personally the six-line wrasse has not worked for me, I've had one in my tank for a few months now, and I've had no noticeable impact on my flatworms. Uh, they, you know, and this is pretty much goes with any type of you know natural predation. There is no 100% guaranteed fix to a lot of this stuff. So if you're going to go with you know something like this predation, that doesn't always work. So you need to keep an eye on it. Uh, and make sure that you get something that you plan on keeping for a while. Like the six-line wrasse is a, a wonderful fish to have. Uh, but I, what I did is I moved next to uh, to some mandarins, and I, I actually got a pair of mandarins. I went into my local fish store, and I found that they actually had a a male and a female uh, that actually were you know socially accepted each other, and they were getting along real good. I don't know if they were mated or anything like that. So I picked up the pair, and I've had them in there for a couple days now, and hopefully those help. Predator I'd like to bring up is the sundial snail. Mm -hmm. um, not much is known about this snail in the hobby, but it's a common predator of zoanthids in the wild. To identify this snail, you can look for black and white or black and yellow markings. I would suggest running a Google search on sundial snails and take a look at that. They're very, very common on all zoanthids coming in from the wild, and they can be anywhere from an inch to microscopic. So Ex I just... Excellent. Yeah, that's, that's something that I, I've, I've seen and read some stuff about. I've never actually dealt with them before. Is there any, you know, I guess this is one of those things that when you get something new in, specifically the zoanthids, uh, that you do careful identification, you know, inspection of it, follow normal quarantine procedures and stuff like that. Now, with these types, is there any other treatment other than just picking these guys off since they're, you know, usually probably fairly, you know, large enough to where you can get in there and pick them off? As I mentioned before, I prefer using saltwater dips, freshwater dips, and iodine dips to remove these snails. You can't always kill 100% of them, 
but you can at least remove a portion of them, which makes life a lot easier. The biggest thing that I can stress in the hobby when you're purchasing corals online or getting them for your friend or from a member of your local fish club is to check the corals and know what you're looking for. Yeah, and it's something that a lot of us deal with, and you know, especially since a lot of these things are kind of starting to grow and become more and more problems as, as people go through and uh, you know, they don't follow certain quarantine procedures or don't, you know, even, even more importantly, they, they don't, they don't even inspect the corals. Uh, I, while especially dealing with, uh, a local fish store, people tend to get, you know, a little lax and uncomfortable with them. And it's important to, you know, understand that while you can trust your local fish store to all high heaven, they, they don't take the, I mean, these corals and the, the this livestock comes in from somewhere else into their holding tanks basically and then it's sold to you so it's not specifically their fault but it's very important that even if it's a trusted reseller that you always go through and inspect uh, and quarantine and stuff like that and I know a lot of people that will treat something like the red bugs they'll treat for red bugs even if they've never had them one of the guys that I, I worked with locally uh, that did um, you know, informal business of, of, of selling corals and stuff like that. He used to treat for red bugs on everything that he got in, whether he saw them on there or not. It was just standard practice. When a shipment came in, he treated for red bugs. Now, I don't know if I'd go that far in the, you know, every in an everyday person's display tank. You know, he was doing this on a little bit larger of a scale. But, yeah, it's very important to inspect and, and check this kind of stuff out. I would agree with you on that. It's very important to look at all of your corals. Even if you don't see it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's there. And that's also why it's important to quarantine your corals and even your fish before you add them into your tank. A couple of notes that I'd like to add is, think of your local fish store as a big trading post. They take trades all the time from other saltwater hobbyists and swap, which means whatever that other hobbyist had in their tank, your local fish store now has. So if you buy something from your fish store and it, they've received a trade-in, the trade-in had flatworms on it, the local fish store is now affected with flatworms, and you can possibly bring it into your home tank. Yeah, it's important, you know, and you know, just like I was mentioning, and it's not always a, a negative against the local fish stores. You know, like I said, the, the people that I work with on a regular basis, great people, and, and I, I would trust them, you know, any day of the week. And people often tend to get down on these local businesses uh, and saying, you know, they sold me a crappy product or they, you know, I bought something from them and it was infected. Well, I, I mean, you really have to put a lot of that, that onus on, on yourself to make sure that you go through the inspection process and that you look at this stuff. You know, they are trying to run a business. They should be conscious of this stuff. But with the amount of stuff that's coming in and out of those tanks, you know, it's stuff is bound to get missed. So the inspection is very important. Yeah, it's very important to do it yourself. Um, not to throw it on the local fish stores, but it also does happen with online vendors. I know that we have received orders in our past in our club that have corals have come with little red bugs, acro-eating flatworms, Montipora nudibranchs, and other pests like that. Yeah, the, Mon the Monty nudibranchs are another one that that I, you know seem to be not overly common, but you know that do happen a lot. Uh, so yeah, it's it's very important. Closely inspect it, I guess. I'm saying it for the fifth time now, but it is very important to do this. And, you know, the same thing I've talked about with fish before. You know, you got to quarantine them. you got to go through this stuff. And if you don't, you have to accept the risks of what's going to happen. Exactly. And if you don't, in the long run, it will come back and haunt you and kick you in the butt. It's yep. worth taking the time to quarantine and follow the, all the procedures. Even if you're new, I would suggest finding a local reef club and finding the expert members. They're usually more than willing to help you out. 
That's how I got started with coral keeping. I received free frags from members and basically just added them to my tank like no tomorrow. Just because I was getting for free, they were so cheap, and it was a great thing. But then I started learning about all the pests that you could incur, and I became more cautious and more selective to what I added and made sure that I was getting it from people that I trusted and I'd seen their tank before and knew what they had. Yeah, that's that's something that's really important to bring up, and it's something that I've mentioned before. But local local clubs, and especially with the you know with the internet the way it is, local forums and boards, great place. Um, I was probably six to eight months into my tank before I had discovered my local uh, forum, and it you know I'm. It's a shame that I discovered it so late because it would have saved me so much money. But it, it, once I discovered it, there was, it was just a, a wealth of information there. And it was uh, you're able to get frags from people at very low prices, a lot of good quality stuff, used equipment, stuff like that. So, you know, working through local forums and stuff like that is, is great. And maybe I'm not going to make any promises real soon, but uh, something that I'd like to try to do is start getting a directory of uh, local forums and local boards on the Talking Reef website so people can use that as a resource to try to find clubs that are in their area. Yeah, it's a impor very important thing. I just happened to find my club because I was looking through an online site and the site was northcorals.com and it was run by one of the club members, Bill Bramushi. I then found the TC Mass site through him and asked questions about the corals and if they were good to get and everything like that and that's how I became acquainted with my club. Yeah, so again, local clubs are you know very, very helpful. Uh, so before we move on and, and end this second topic, I know we kind of strayed a little bit, but uh, is there anything else that we wanted to that you wanted to mention about aquarium pests or anything that you deal with in in your your business or anything like that? I think that we've covered it very well, but only we've only skimmed the surface, and you can do a lot of online reading and look at the research. Yes, absolutely. I, I, again, with with everything that you know we talk about here, um, and a lot of the topics we do go into some detail on, but you know. It, there's only so much time and people don't want to listen to a 10-hour show. We could easily do 10 hours on this kind of stuff to go into the extreme detail. So, yeah, this is meant to give, you know, high-level overview uh, with a little bit of detail. And But, yes, if you if you think you have any of these problems or you're looking for specific ways to prevent one of these specific problems, uh, get out on the Internet. That's what it's there for. That's what the Talking Reef website's there for. Hit the forums. Ask the questions. Uh, there's a lot of people on the forums. Our forum members uh, have just been, the amount of members has been going through the roof the last couple of weeks. Uh, so there's a lot of people in there, and there's a lot of people that are just more than happy to help you with any of your questions. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and wrap up the second topic. Um, again, if you've got questions about any of these topics, head over to the TalkingReef.com website and enter the forums. Uh, register there if you haven't already and post any questions that you have. If you have questions specific to uh, the online fish or coral business, specifically the online coral business, uh, make sure you check out the Razor Coral form at the bottom and you can ask any, you know, any and all questions specific to that and I'm sure Jake will jump in there and be more than happy to help help you out there. And if you have any other questions regarding anything else that we've talked about uh, in these two topics, uh, just like I said, head over to the forums and, and post your question there. So, uh, Jake, I'd like to thank you and Razor Coral for, first of all, sponsoring the website. You've been the first sponsor to the website, so I wanted to thank you for that. And I'd like to thank you for taking the time to be on the show this week.
Well, thank you for having me on the show. Thank you for letting me have the opportunity to sponsor Talking Reef. Great, and I hope that we get the opportunity to you know do some more shows together. If you've got any other specific topics or whatever uh, you know that you'd like to cover, make sure you let me know, and we'll go over it. So that's going to wrap up these two sections, and at this point, we're going to move on to the tip of the week. Uh, talk to you next time, Jake. Thanks for having me. Okay, so moving right along, uh, as mentioned, we're going to move into the tip of the week. This uh, this section, um, real quick, uh, I want basically this tip of the tip of the week came from uh, a comment and a question that was in the forum that I thought would be great for a tip uh, for this time around. Uh, the question came in about acclimating uh, an existing tank and corals and stuff like that to new light. So in the event that you move from power compacts or something like that and you get set up with some bright T5 or some uh, specifically like metal halides or something like that, something that you have to do is gradually acclimate the tank and the corals to that bright light so you don't freak them out and, and cause a whole bunch of problems. So the question came up on what the best way to do this is. Now there's a couple different options. Um, basically I'm going to talk about two different options real quick. Uh, the first one is about using uh, just your regular light timers, your electrical outlet timers or power strips with timers on them. Uh, and the, other, the other way that's commonly used is with stuff like plastic screening or egg crate or something like that. So the first thing with the light timers, uh, this is a great way uh, to, to acclimate the, the tank to the new lights because in most cases you're already going to have light timers as it is because a lot of people have their lights turned on and off at specific times and um, usually they'll have them on two separate ones. You'll have your actinics on, on one timer, your halides on another so that the, the actinics will turn on before and go off after the halides to do the whole dawn-dusk effect. Uh, but anyways, that's a whole other topic. So basically what you can do, you get the new metal halide lights, you're going to plug them into these timers Usually the timers will work on uh, flipping little switches or whatever, and they'll usually work in little 15-minute intervals. So basically, a real good way that you can do this is take your total photo period for your halides. Let's say you're going to burn them for eight hours a day. Uh, so what you can do is, um, you know, on your timer, turn it, you know, get everything plugged in, but you don't want to turn them on and let them burn for eight hours solid because, you know, again, we need to acclimate them. So instead of flipping all of the switches on to run throughout that whole time, if you just do one of the 15-minute switches every hour. So in your first, let's, for example, we're going to do an eight-hour burn. So you'll flip on the first, you know, you're going to start at 10 o'clock. So at 10 o'clock, we'll flip the first 15-minute switch. We'll leave the rest off. At 11 o'clock, we'll flip the the first 15 minute switch and so on. So basically uh, every hour you'll get 15 minutes worth of light uh, and then let that go for about a week or so and then you know a few days about a week is usually good enough and then flip your next one on so then for the next week you'll get 30 minutes every hour and then you can flip the next one you get 45 minutes every hour or so on um, basically you don't have to follow this exact pattern but the point is is that you can use the existing light timers that you have without buying any other equipment you know like I said most people need to buy or will have these timers anyways and this is a good way to acclimate your tank uh, to the new lighting now the second thing I want to talk about real quick is using the plastic screening. Um, a lot of people will take, uh, in, if you have the equipment laying around, some people do, you can build a little frame and put use a screening over it. The screen will actually diffuse the light and cause less light to go in the tank. Um, so you can use, uh, a, you can build a frame for it if you've got the wood to do that, or you can also use a sheet of egg crate. Now if you have the egg crate, 
uh, or the metal frame or the wooden frame, then you can use the screening and just layer. You put like two or three or four layers of screening over the egg crater or whatever it happens to be, and then every few days to a week, you take one of the layers off. Now, if you do this, it's important to remember that you have to use plastic screening. You don't want to use any metal screening because, uh, as you know, everybody probably knows, salt in the salt water is extremely corrosive, and it's going to cause it to rust, and it's going to be a big, huge mess when you touch it. So make sure you do use the plastic screening. So in other words, let's get a piece of egg crate laid over the top of the tank. Then we're going to take, let's say, three pieces of uh, plastic screening, cut them to fit. You're going to lay all three on there. After a week, you'll pull one off and you'll only have two. After another week, you'll pull another one off, you'll only have one, and then when you're all done there, you can pull the last one off and you should be ready to go. Uh, so just a couple ideas for you. There was a whole thread in the forms on this, so make sure if you've got any questions about this, you head over to the forms, you can get all the details that you want there. So moving right along, uh, in this next section, uh, Jake from last week in our feedback show that called in about the, the use of natural seawater uh, has come back again this week with some great information about fluorescence. So instead of me giving you a big introduction on what it is, let's give Jake a few minutes and uh, he's going to come in and, and give us a little introduction to fluorescence. Hi, my name is Jake Adams and I'm here to give you a preview of an upcoming episode that I will be hosting here on the Talking Reef podcast. Fluorescence is one of the first characteristics of corals that people are attracted to, and it is an attribute that many coral aquarium keepers try to encourage. There are many different facets to fluorescence, and in this upcoming episode, I am going to tell you everything you ever wanted to know about fluorescence. First and foremost, I will explain what fluorescence is exactly, how it works, how it differs from similar luminous processes such as phosphorescence and bioluminescence. I will also tell you about some of the various marine organisms that exhibit fluorescence, how and why they employ it, and some of the ways that we can use fluorescence to learn more about our reef aquariums. Additionally, I will be hosting an interview with Dr. Charles Mazel, who is the creator of Nightsea.com, which is a website dedicated to viewing and photographing fluorescence in marine habitats and in captive aquaria. Dr. Mazel is a marine scientist who does research on marine life using fluorescence, and he will be discussing with us how fluorescence viewing equipment works how fluorescence is used, and some of the research that he has done using fluorescence. So that's all for the preview. If you have any questions for Dr. Mazel, please email them to me at coralite at gmail.com. That's C-O-R-A-L-I-T-E at gmail.com. I will do my best to include them into the show. And you can expect this special episode of the Talking Reef podcast to be available for download in a few weeks on TalkingReef.com. Thanks, Jake. And as I mentioned last week uh, with the feedback show, actually, I think it was this week. Jeez, everything's been going. I've been losing track of time everywhere. Um, so anyways, as I mentioned on the feedback show, Jake is going to be doing some work with the Talking Reef podcast and with me and with some people. He's going to be doing some product reviews and interviews, as you mentioned here. So he's going to be putting together some content. All that content uh, is going to be released through the Talking Reef podcast. You'll be able to get it on the website uh, and be able to get it right through the podcast feed that you're getting this episode through.
Now, if you have any questions, uh, again, he mentioned his email address in there. Uh, please feel free to send him emails and he'll collect that information uh, for the interview that he's going to be doing. Uh, again, that's going to be probably a couple weeks before that interview comes out. Uh, but if, you know, in just preparation for it, uh, make sure you shoot off the questions to him. So we're going to move right along. Uh, in this week, uh, we're going to be the questions and answers se uh, section. Uh, and basically, for the sake of time in this show, because we're already at uh, like 50 minutes, uh, I'm not going to be doing a full question and answer section. But I did want to point you to a forum post. For those of you that are setting up a new tank or just starting out and have concerns about if your floor can support the tank that you're, you're going to be setting up, a great article was posted in our forums. Forum member uh, the, with the username Herbie uh, had posted an article titled, How Heavy of an Aquarium Can Your Floor Support? Uh, this, thread is, uh, this thread is in the general discussion forum, and there's going to be a link to it in the show notes. Uh, so make sure you go to the show notes and you check that out. Again, there's loads of information in the forum, so you know, go in there, check out this thread. There's a the great article. Um, the article's not by our, our forum member, but it was something that this forum member found and posted and shared with everybody. Uh, again, you know, great stuff that goes on in the forums, loads and loads of information. So uh, head over to the, either the forums and, and look for it there, or again, the link to that will be right in the show notes, and it'll take you right to that thread, and you can check out all the information out there. Uh, real good article. So at this point, I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show uh, with the community update information. Uh, for starters, the first thing on the list here is sun, uh, Saturday Chats. Uh, okay, folks, it's official. Starting on Saturday, uh, this Saturday, and then every Saturday to follow at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, we will be having the official community chat night. Um, I will be there. The rest of the Talking Reef staff will be there. Uh, we hope that you can all join us. We'll be there fielding questions. Um, everybody, if you have, if you're able to help people out, uh, everybody's going to be helping everybody out. Everybody's going to be talking, have a good time. Uh, so for questions or anything that you may have, or just for general chit chat, uh, these chats are a lot of fun. Uh, there's multiple different uh, chat rooms in there. Uh, for different topics. We can always set up more if we need to. Uh, so we'll be able to kind of break out into different rooms just in case it gets kind of you know stuffy in the room. There's a lot of people and it's kind of hard to follow and stuff like that. So we can set up new rooms. We can break it out. This is the first time we're doing an official chat. So we're going to see how it goes uh, and uh, you know open to feedback and suggestions and everything. So again, every Saturday night starting this Saturday, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, so make sure you're there to uh, check out, talk to, and meet the fellow Talking Reef listeners. Uh, listener call-in. Don't forget to call in with any questions, introductions to the show, or comments to the voicemail line. It's quick and easy. Just pick up the phone and dial 586-486-3357, and you'll be able to leave a voicemail, and we'll get that comment played on the air if you want. Uh, one other, two other things real quick. Uh, the Frapper map, make sure that you check out the Talking Reef Frapper map. Uh, there's a link on the home page of the Talking Reef website. Go there, stick a pin in the map. And last but not least, make sure that you check out the forums. Again, a great way to get involved in the community 
one of the biggest things that I'm trying to do with the whole show and the in the forums is build a big, huge community of people uh, around the show that are here to help each other out in a very nice manner. And I've got to say, I've been very, very impressed with the listeners and the members of the forum. It's been great. These are some wonderful, wonderful people that are in there uh, having great discussion, helping each other out. Uh, it's a very, very friendly, uh, very, you know, very good place to go. So head over there, check it out, and. That's going to about wrap it up for this show, and uh, I've got some exciting contest news coming out, so if you actually stuck with me to the last minute, I'm going to be quite surprised if you did, because I know a lot of people usually cancel out before we actually get this far, so if you're here, then you get to hear about this. Uh, coming up in the next day or two, we're going to be releasing some contest information about a whole new series of contests that we're going to be doing uh, with the Talking Reef site and with the Talking Reef podcast. So make sure you keep an eye on the site and keep an eye on your feed because this is going to be coming down in the next couple days. So, all right, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up, uh, and uh, we'll talk to you all very soon with the contest information. Talk to you later. Have a good one.